Bank is a podcast hosted by Clayton Weir, co-founder and CEO at Fivespeak, a fintech that is enabling banks to provide contextualized, consumer-like experiences to their business clients. Clayton is a renowned thought leader in financial innovation and hits on the hottest topics in banking and finance and the future of payments. And he wants to know, if you ran the bank, what's the one thing you go all in on? Tune in to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's your host, Clayton Weir. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of If I Ran the Bank. I'm your host, as always, uh, Clayton Weir. And welcome back for, I guess, what we're calling a second season of this podcast. Um, super excited today to have a friend of mine, Patricia Trepar, who is a... Uh, I was going to say a heavy hitter, I guess, at Santander Bank USA, but a very senior um, leader in the kind of treasury product management world there has been all around, I guess, the industry on on different sides of the fence, both in banks and and having the outside view and kind of consulting and, and some things like that. And really excited to have her on the show today because we share a lot of, I think, common opinions, a lot of common kind of areas of interest around how the experience between, of banking is changing and, and how the expectations of kind of corporates and treasurers and finance departments around the world are, are changing. I know, Patricia, that you spent a lot of time around this concept of digitally active businesses or what a digitally active, you know, business banking customer is or what that means. I thought that might be a fun place to start to maybe unpack that idea and, and, and what that, that means to you and wh- what you think that means to the bank in terms of trying to enable those kinds of customers? Sure. So I think um, it's our responsibility um, being a financial institution and a fintech and, you know, all of that, you know, put pulled together at the same time to help clients use electronic banking services, you know, most best for themselves, most efficiently, most effectively. Um, and it's a it's a paper world over here sometimes in transaction banking. So for those that you know don't understand everything about transaction banking, we're talking about you know everything from signing up for you know bank products and services so that you can make all kinds of different types of payments. Uh, you need a wide variety of reporting and you know reports um, and. You have to get your account set up at the bank and things sort of mapped and, you know, matched together. Then you have to get some of that information into your, you know, own systems, either directly or, you know, indirectly. So it's such a wide variety of things that a corporate client, whether they're a business owner or a cash manager or a treasurer or a CFO and, and a variety of other roles that are, you know, I would consider my clients are, are doing, you know, and it can feel very um, non-empowering sometimes for a client. Um, and so it's our job and it's my job. Um, and I aspire to do this, this better and differently on, on behalf of Santander as well to help customers figure out just how enabled are they today with their banking services and plot them so that they understand how they can be more digitally enabled and digitally active. I almost like visualize, um, you know, having kind of like a, a map for clients on their banking portal or their mobile app, right, that tells them and allows them to kind of figure out, you know, just how enabled and digitally active with their banking stuff are they, 
right? And plot themselves, you know, and then ask for help too, right? And if a client says, you know, we're, we're this electronic and we do these things and, you know, the people at our company do these things on, in your apps, you know, with the bank, but we feel we can do better. We should have a um, pathway for them to, if they wish, um, be more digital, right? Or more virtually enabled, um, rely less on, you know, paper, rely less on a bunch of different clicks and, and navigation. And I think we owe that to clients. So I call that customer empowerment, self-service that defies gravity. That makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a lot to unpack there, but it's, there's a couple things that really struck me right away. So one is, you know, when you start to think about your plot of, um, businesses and where, and where they fit in their maturity. Some of that is, I think what you're talking about really specifically is, well, of all the things I, as you know, Santander bank, or as your you know, friendly neighbor at Santander bank can do for you, what are you consuming? You can probably zoom out a level, right? And it extends to things that aren't as directly related to the bank, but there's probably other aspects of other tools in their life where the all these corporates would have a different level of digital maturity as well, or sophistication. Certainly. The, the, the personal uh, computing and banking and the work computing converged a lot you know, with mobile and mobile apps. And I don't think those are the only ones, right? But that's sort of the best example in the space. And then over the last couple of years with the pandemic, um, virtual working, working from home, um, you know, it, 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 it blended a lot for people and for the types of clients that we have. So that's just one, you know, example of that, you know, but another example of that is conceptually um, the concept of being a bank and, you know, bringing the bank to the client. Um, and, uh, you know, current terminology is sometimes contextual banking or, you know, can be referred to in a couple of different ways. But in my mind, it's when the bank comes to you online through an app, you may use a device to, you know, like a mobile, mobile or iPad or something like that, but the bank gets closer to you and comes to you. You're a company, you're a corporate. Right. But that feels more personal and it feels more like personal banking. And I think the, the paths are now converged and they're so close to one another that our clients expectations, you know, are really that like bring the services a little bit closer to me, especially if I'm not going into a physical banking facility like a branch and I'm not banking that way. Totally. And it, I mean, that's a really interesting way to think about it, about coming to the customers, because it's actually funny when you think about English. I, I literally never thought of before this, before you said this, but the idea of like going to the bank is like such a common phrase, right? Like that's our whole concept of the bank is it's a place that you go. And realistically, the last 20 years have in some ways have been about the exact opposite about that. But we don't really talk about that language, about the bank coming to you, right? That's effectively what happened with like, you know, your mobile app and like the final straw for consumers was always like the remote deposit capture on checks, right? That was the like, that was your trip to the bank was always to like deposit the check. But, um, you know, so the bank had come to you. That's 
probably not generally a true way to describe any form of kind of business treasury transaction banking likely today, really. We're in the early innings of the bank coming to you. We're, I agree with you. We are definitely in the early innings. But if you think about the new innovations, you know, it's not just about, you know, you know, less branches because it's expensive and the footprint is big and we've gone, you know, virtual. There, there will always be need for like the physicality, you know, but what technology is introduced, um, you know, in, in um, like the immediate payments space, you know, the requesting for information, essentially we as a bank, right, are, are bringing more data, more information, more immediate, uh, um, you know, like interactivity to the person, like to the client and the company that we weren't doing even, I don't know, three, four, you know, five, five years ago. So I think part, part, part and parcel, the, like that, the whole payments space, right? Technology, um, you know, API-based type of technology, which isn't new necessarily. It's just that the applications of it now to be able to go to the customer, right, deliver the data um, in a more proactive kind of way, that's what's kind of, I think, forming the, the ability for banks to go to the customer versus like that concept of, you know, the customer goes to the bank, whether they're going to the bank online or whether they're going to the bank, you know, at a branch. But it's so funny that you said that because I mean, we hear it all the time. We probably don't even realize people saying, um, I I need to go to the bank. Yeah. It's like almost like a euphemism for doing errands, right? It's like this, Oh, it's just a chore. I had to run to the bank. I didn't really think about that either until you said it. So we're definitely going to have to work, work on that one, see what we can uh, discover there. So that makes sense. And it, and kind of the next thing you said made me think of the next trope, right? Which is the other way banking centered lexicon, which is bankers hours, right? In the pejorative sense. And so in that world of immediate payments, you know, that's a fundamental consequence is that a lot of those immediate payment systems clear 24 by seven, right? It's not the exact opposite of the pejorative use of bankers hours bankers hours are now all the time (laughs) so um that's kind of interesting but i know offline we talked about this a little bit manifesting in other ways so you know the first wave of the pandemic was obviously just the absolute necessity to be able to access some of these things i think you called it you know to virtualize some of these processes so you could get them done just because you had to right there was there was no other way but i think this the subsequent waves of like this pandemic life, you start to think about the trends to remote work and distributed teams and the way people are structuring their time. I, I think the concept of time of use or, or what, what's a normal time to be doing accounting or banking has changed. And I think, I think you have some anecdotes about that, but I would love, love your thoughts of how your customer behavior has changed in the last 18, 18 months on that front. Sure. So I can assure you that I don't work bankers hours. I know all of my friends in uh, product management, sales and technology at banks have uh, a really perverse uh, version of bankers hours that they work that uh, you can never pay me enough money to take anybody, any, any of my bank colleagues uh, diaries. I will, I will put that on the record as an outsider. Well, you know, I mean, just, just segueing right into your question, which is sometimes we're weekend warriors, right? Because we're making enhancements and 
doing UI improvements on the weekends, right? When clients don't work, not true. So <laughs> if, um, you know, if you were working from home this year, which many people kind of were trying to straddle, you know, all kinds of things, our users, you know, we saw a lot more traffic in the mornings and the evenings, you know, on the weekends and, and not just because of working from home in the pandemic, but, but because, you know, depending on like when you're catching up with it, mobile, especially like when you're carrying your, you know, your bank in your hand and you want to take a look at something, um, you know, people that, function in, you know, some of the roles that I described to our clients, you know, they're in a bank app or multiple apps multiple times throughout the day, you know, checking on things. It's a real time world, right? So it's not just one or two times a day that something is happening. I mean, things are just kind of, you know, moving and grooving and especially with, you know, the entrance of immediate real time and, you know, the adaption in, in the U.S. and Canada, you know, over time. I mean, I just think it completely blows the whole myth out of the water if there are bankers hours and it's only between eight and five that businesses work and I mean that's that's gone and that left faster the pandemic accelerated that and I think you'd even said that to some extent you're noticing because I know Santander footprint in the U.S. is really you know kind of driven super regionally in the northeast but you said that now all of a sudden you're you know, obviously your client base has a fundamentally changed, but now your logins are coming from all over the U.S., right? Like the, the employees aren't aren't all together anymore, and they've kind of like you know shifted, leaned into this world of being wherever they want and access. Like, it kind of really accelerates this concept of convenience and availability. Absolutely, we're in the Northeast, technically speaking. We call our you know domestic footprint in the U.S. domestic, you know, eleven states, but um, we have logins over the last couple of years from virtually everywhere, you know, the U.S. and obviously, you know, uh, other countries as well, because we have international clients and, you know, with subsidiaries, we're a global bank. But, um, you know, I mean, and it's, it's, it's because our companies have hired people or had employees who went and, you know, worked remotely somewhere else and they can. That's, that's the beauty of digital banking. And so, on that note, and circling back to your first idea of, you know, if we start to plot your customers out on kind of their, you know, digital, you know, activation, like where they were on their on the chart, I think there's a couple things that would be true, right? Obviously, the whole bell curve of all of your customers would have shifted outward, right? They're all uniformly way more digitally active, no matter where you started from. But I think the interesting thing is that's true now, and and now that we're like persistent in this world of you know not with with less physicality into it, I, I can't imagine that like the you know the clients are probably doing they're probably now at the end of your capabilities in lots of cases, and now it's now you're probably the limiting factor as the bank, right? They're probably now asking for more and more things that can be done you know easier or more self serve those kinds of things. I was curious if that's you know, sort of true or, or what, what's happening on that front? You hit the nail on the head there. You know, two, three years ago, had we been like really pushing all in, you know, digitization, all in, you know, self-service via an app so that, you know, you don't need to talk to a human, you can kind of do it yourself. It would have been thought of as a little bit aggressive. And I find that our business customers, whether it's a, a solo business owner a middle-sized company, our large corporates, um, we run 
the Client Advisory Board. Um, I've been doing programming around including our clients in early stage, you know, product development and, you know, involving the customer, you know, in development kind of thing. And just we're finding the appetite of, of clients to try uh, uh, different mediums and, mean, and means and ask for more self-service. Um, just night and day compared to a couple of years ago of what companies and the people in them are asking for. And they're like, they're willing to try it too. So I'm excited about that, you know, because we have more to do. Um, definitely, you know, so many financial institutions in the U.S. and Canada doing all kinds of different and interesting things around quote unquote, you know, self-service. But I mean, the, I think that just the world is open and it's, it's wide now for us as banks and fintechs more so um, due to the circumstances we were in, in this, in this category, right? It's not a scary thing, right? To have less touch points in your, um, you know, banking, buying and, and, and set up processes and, and how you contact the bank. It's, it's not so scary, you know, to do it on your own without the assistance of, you know, the people in the middle. It is interesting. It's always struck me as weird. And I think you and I are maybe representative of interesting generation because we're kind of in that, you know, uh, either we're either geriatric millennials or really young kind of, you know, Gen Xers. And so it's like a point of transition, right? That kind of medians the two broader bodies of, of the demographics. And it just like, you know, you're so used to this now, right? This asynchronous, like, ability to do these things, self-serve. And, like, the idea of being on hold is, like, almost intolerable. And that's the, it's the, the being on hold thing seems so bizarre, especially with banks, because it's, like, you know, we had a, a guest previous on this that was kind of in the virtual assistant kind of, you know, bought for bank things. And there's so many transactions where it's so expensive for you to talk to me and I absolutely don't want to talk to you about it or wait on hold for the privilege that we're like both equally unhappy, right? The bank's unhappy. I'm unhappy as the user. And like the self-serve stuff is just such a win-win when it's easy, right? When it's easy to action. I, I, I use the terminology being able to supercharge the model, right? So not replace things, you know, but make it that much more, you know, flexible, you know, and even create some unique experiences. And, you know, it's such an information-rich, data-driven world now. So even when customers are calling, you know, we've got, you know, more sophisticated ways of tracking and tracing information related to electronic cases that are opened, you know, calls, you know, kind of thing, tying that information together. Um, you know, in more interesting ways, information that comes through from these chats and, you know, and, and, and these places, like, what do you, what do you do with all of that now? Well, if you're a client of the bank, you hope that the bank is trying to learn something about you. Yeah. You know? Um, so I, you know, to me, data digitization virtually, it matters, right? Because it matters, like, what are we doing with that information to, improve the client experience but consistently simplify it simplify it make it easy 
right? To do what you need to do as a corporate, whether it's a super sophisticated, you know, banking concept or service, or just as easy as, you know, you know what? I just like need to send an ACH today, just one. Yeah. It should be easy. It probably often isn't on many of these things. So on that note, when you're spending time, like with the client advisory boards and soliciting that feedback, like, what what is the what is the wish list like? What is the what are the persistent, powerful requests that you're getting from from businesses? So right now, um, over the last few months, there's definitely been a transition to curiosity on how to help businesses who are running, you know, their treasury management tools and software and ERPs, right? Um, better leverage bank data. And um, APIs are not so much of a, a, a thingy out there, right? But people know more about them. And they're interested in, you know, the bank being able to help them tackle their opportunities there or provide them, for example, or provide access to them. This is by far over the last couple of years like one of the things that's, you know, in our customer base, continued to grow, right? From curiosity and concept to help me and I have expectations for you, Santander, you know, that you are playing in this space. So back to my comment about getting closer to the client sort of thing. I think clients expect a bank to be able to have some kind of interoperability with their tools and, and their systems and not, you know, have too many steps or long implementations or things like that, you know, that are counterintuitive, counterintuitive along the way. No, I think that makes makes complete sense. Obviously, I'm a little biased on the, on the value of that uh, kind of stuff as well, but that makes sense. I'm curious from the bank perspective then too, I mean, you guys have a unique perspective as Santander um, in the sense that the core of your business is in Europe where they're living in the future, not just in the literal sense of being five hours ahead of you, but the, you know, have lived through a few years of this kind of open banking and, and things like that. It's the, some of those learnings and things like that, has that trickled down and manifested into your North American business? Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't think that your average needs you know, Europe versus U.S. are necessarily that much different. You know, some of the core things that, you know, practitioners need are, you know, roughly the same visibility into information, having it available to them faster. Um, but I think where we're going to capitalize on our global, you know, company and, and parent relationship is investments made in things like, you know, predictive analytics, um, forecasting, using, building, putting together APIs and technology so that the bank can be seen as a um, provider of things that companies are used to having to buy for themselves or build for themselves. And it's a bank becomes the complement, right? So um, we're not seen anymore as, well, the bank only keeps the bank data and can't really do anything with any of my information with me and can't blend it together because open banking, as you know, brought about permissioning and companies giving permission to their financial institution or fintech to use their data in different ways. So I think that that's a huge door opener for us. Huge. 
No, I totally agree. I, I couldn't agree more. I think the permission, the concept of permissioning even is, is so interesting just in terms of who owns what and who's consenting to send it where. I think it opens a lot of the answers to wh- whatever the answer to the questions are. I think it just takes you in interesting places. But you said something that I thought was fascinating that if we start to provide these services to you, that then the bank becomes a complement to that. Do you want to maybe unpack that a little bit further? It struck me as a really interesting statement. So I don't think that, um, you know, I want to compete with, um, you know, other software or applications or, you know, systems that um, a company might be using, right? Um, I want to complement it. I want to be an option as bank for a customer, right? But I also want to be able to give the customer their banking data, to be able to use in their own systems as they see fit. I'd like to be able to use customer data to give customers information that is more insightful for them, right? Um, And I'd like to be, you know, kind of more like a subscription service. So if you think about, I don't know, I'll use Amazon or like Netflix or, you know, some of these names that most people can, you know, relate to, you have options there almost too many, right? But sometimes those options are complementary to each other, right? And that sector has figured out how to make things sometimes complementary, right? So that there's competition, you know, but there's complement as well. And I think banking and fintech, fintechs being systems and services and tools that you know, corporates, you know, are using for the purposes of, you know, managing their financials and their liquidity and cash management and treasury management, that sort of thing, right, can complement each other as well. And I think if we approached our clients that way and didn't try to sell them a, like, singular solo, like, we're, we're the only people that can possibly manufacture this particular, you know, product and experience for you that has your bank information in it and no one else has it, Right. And we focused on being a complement to the things that they have and they do products that they're interested in, that they installed in their back office. And we take an interest and and develop an expertise in what those things are will be more appreciated. And it'll be less about banks and fintechs competing and more about how they live together because they need to be in harmony for, for companies. They don't they don't want us to not be harmonious and then not be able to, you know, give them the things that they need. No, I, I think that's a hundred percent correct. I mean, the way I think of it, which I think is the same is, is sort of what you're talking about, but you know, as an outsider, as not a banker, the thing that's always struck me as peculiar about banks is it's everything, almost the whole essence of the bank is about these like specific products. Right. And, and really they're not even products since it's about capabilities, right. The way you said manufacturing this is a way old. It's like, that's the bank is very stuck in the manufacturing lens of it. So we have this ACH, you know, low value domestic U S payment type. And there's like a ACH product manager and there's ACH pricing and all that stuff. And reality is in the client's world, it's just the outcome of something, some other thing that they're trying to get done, right? Something in their business. So ACH is really a way to exchange money with your vendors so that you can get inventory into your business, right? Or whatever it is. But the ACH is kind of the final mile of that. And so this whole idea that there's business, there's jobs to be done in the business to operate, like there's these things that you just have to do to operate. 
and some aspects of those jobs involve operational software tools or whatever. And some aspects of those jobs are are things that only banks can do. I think the banks that view facilitating those jobs getting done better, cheaper, faster, easier for those clients are the banks that are going to win, right? As opposed to just like, you know, having a manufacturing centric mindset on what the bank does and can do and other people can't because it, you know, it's, I don't think that's what it's about. Again, I think it's supercharging things that the bank already has and does to complement exactly what you said. Customers wanting to be efficient, wanting to be effective, wanting to be on time, you know, and operating their business, you know, and not, you know, being so, um, you know, particular about, well, you know, it, it, it can only be done by, you know, a bank. Payments, lending processes, transaction banking, trade finance, you know, supply chain management sorts of things. Um, we've already, already established in the universe that non-banks do all of those things. Yeah, and and we've, I probably say this every three episodes, but, you know, the I think Bill.com and those guys are a great example of proving it, taking the financial service thing they're doing in any given instance and maybe charging five or 10x of what a bank would because they made it slightly more convenient to use, right? The willingness to pay goes through the roof when you make these things easier to use. I absolutely. And so, yeah, it's not, I don't think, yeah, I think we're, we're uh, preaching to the converted here. So um, cognizant of time, we're getting, I guess, kind of getting to, to the end of the session. Is there anything else that you wanted to get off your chest uh, to the listeners, both of them? Uh, both of the listeners of my podcast. <laughs> Come on, you have more listeners, right? <laughs> Pro- probably. Um, I think, you know, some things that I am personally, you know, kind of in, in on, right? And I mentioned it a little bit earlier, is, is this concept of virtual banking. And it, it can be, you know, interpreted in some different ways and like you were saying in in the banking sector it can get really siloed like which kind of virtual product are you talking about you know virtual accounts virtual cards like virtual branches you know which like which product is it you know and to me it's not a product anymore it's a way of life right it's a way that companies banks are a company you're a company you know, are just conducting their 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 business flows, their 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 trade flows, their their day to day in a much more virtually enabled world, right? So, as a bank, you know, and as a as a, as a product owner, a bank, right? Um, I just want to strive in the future to um, break down some of those, you know silos and the and the and the you know 50 products we have that a customer has to try to sift through and get through to figure out what combination of things if they put it together would get them what they you know need especially in this virtual space where so much of everything is out in the universe in on the internet of things um dare i you know start talking about distributed ledger and then crypto and you know all this stuff Right. Um, and like banks should be a place, financial institutions should be a place where people and companies feel 
like they can conduct their business in a, in a virtual world. No, I, I think that makes sense. And so I guess as a closing thought, like where are we on that journey, right? To the banking, the, the kind of B2B banking industry being prepared for a virtual world. Yeah, um, I think on the maturity curve, early stages, to be honest with you, um, I think, you know, the concept that I love is that concept of, you know, having a bank branch on the web or having a bank branch, bank branch on an app, you know, kind of thing where, you know, kind of you're, you're going about a very simulated way in which you, you know, need to conduct business and need to conduct banking, but it's, you know, customizable to how you want your banking experience to be. And that's in its early stages right now. And it's not really being leveraged a lot by in the U.S. by any of the major, you know, tiered banks in the U.S. I think it's something that is, um, you know, driven out of more of like, you know, European and Asian kind of kind of markets where, where like you were saying before, those um, geographies uh, have been a bit more ahead of the curve over the years anyway, right? So I think that is something that's something to watch. No, I, I think that's that totally makes sense. And I, I'm not in touch very closely day to day with how these things are evolving in Asia. But when you think about on the more consumer experiences around payments and peer-to-peer and stuff, like it's just it might be decades might be the right way to measure their advancement over North America. It's unfathomable Um, and unfathomable success that some of those companies have had, those non-bank companies, right? Like Ant and and the like in facilitating that. Um, Well, this has been a really awesome conversation, Tricia. I'm super glad that we made the time to do this. I think this is a really um, interesting lens to kind of take stock now that we're sort of rolling up on kind of two years of living in a, a more virtual world and thinking about, you know, where we've come and, and where we have to go kind of on the banking side. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And I'm counting on you and, and others to help us banks get there. I appreciate <laughs> it. Well, let's see what we could do. And thank you to everyone who's listening at home. Um, as always, if you uh, aren't, feel free to subscribe on uh, Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We uh, really appreciate you uh, tuning in every time. Have a great day and uh, stay safe out there, everybody. <laughs>